Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you would this morning, how about take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 5 this morning. Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 5 as we pick up where we left off last week. Once you found Acts chapter 5 and that 17th verse, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning. And let's read together starting in Acts chapter 5 verse 17. And it reads like this. And through the hands of the apostles, actually that's 12, let's do 17, Acts 5, 17. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Father, this morning you have stirred our hearts and our fellowship together, our worship of you together this morning. Father, our time in Sunday school and learning about your word this morning, our time with the children. Father, you have been evident in all those things today. And we ask now that in the quietness of this place, you make yourself evident again. That this morning, Father, that you attune our hearts and minds to you. That you do that, by, Father, by making very little of me and very much of you. As your word is preached this morning, let it stir the hearts of those who hear. And let the response be, Father, within your will. This we pray within the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been looking at this fifth chapter of Acts together. We've been looking at the fifth chapter of Acts and looking at the fact that the church has a mission. And there's a mission that the church is to be about and we're to go out and be about something. And it's really about evangelizing the world. God has chosen for some odd reason to use a band of pitiful folks like us to tell the world about his son, Jesus Christ. That baffles me when I think about it. It baffles me every time I stand behind a pulpit to preach the word. Why me? It's what I think. Why me? Aren't there others? Aren't there some that's better? Aren't there churches that are bigger? Aren't there, there are churches that are in places that there are more people? Why, why us? But, but God has decided that he is going to use this church that we see being put together in the book of Acts to evangelize the world, to spread the gospel to the othermost parts of the world. And we see there's, there's some characteristics of a church, of what should be the characteristics of our church in this mission of evangelism. We looked at the purity of the church was the first thing. It comes off the story from from the beginning of of Acts there and uh, where of Acts five when it talks about this Ananias and Sapphira that that were bold enough to lie to the Holy Spirit and it cost them their life because God desires for His church to be pure, so that when the message is given, people observe the fact that the church believes the message because it's a pure church that deals with the sin within that church, that it's not a hypocritical church that says your sins can be forgiven, yet it chooses to live in its own sins. God desires that our church be pure for His glory, that others may hear and believe that gospel message. That was the first characteristic. Then we saw that out of that characteristic, really the next characteristic was the power. 
the power of God within the church. And, and we saw examples of that power. It was physical examples of it when people were, were brought into the streets to be healed and they just wanted the shadow of Peter to cross over them and, and thoughts that they would be healed from that. But as we talked about last week, it was never about their physical healing. The greatest power we'll ever witness within the church is not a person being healed from a a broken leg or a disease. The greatest power we'll ever see in the church is a person being healed of that ultimate disease that sends them to a place called hell for all of eternity. It's that person being healed from their, their grip that has them in sin, that choice that they've made to be in sin, that ultimately is going to lead to an eternal death. We all physically are going to die. We realize that. But the greatest power we could ever witness in the church is the fact that we see a person dead in sin, raised to life in Christ through the gospel message. So when you think about the power that was demonstrated in this church and the power that should be demonstrated in Morris Creek, we should think about the proclamation of the gospel to the power of an almighty God. And so the first thing is to think about the purity within the church. The second is the power within the church. And that leads us to this third thing this morning. If you are pure, if the power is being demonstrated, there's one thing I can assuredly tell you, that there will be persecution of the church. Seems to be a theme in the book of Acts now, doesn't it? There will be persecution in the church. Look at that passage that we just read and you see it there. That passage from 17 to 21. When the leaders of the city heard the message was still being preached about this Jesus, it tells us there that they were filled with indignation, it says in that 17th verse. That's not just a little mad. That's furious. They were furious that Peter and John would dare stand up and preach this name of Jesus that they had commanded them to no longer preach. And it says the leader of this group, this high priest, he stood up. He stood up in the midst of them and commanded. He demanded that Peter and John be seized. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the priest of the church was more interested in the power he would lose if the people started to believe the message than he was of the message itself. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it just interesting that he couldn't hear what was being preached for the thought that he couldn't control what was being preached? (laughs) Aren't we like that in our own lives sometimes? Aren't we like that in our own lives? We really are. We want the gospel to be preached. (laughs) We just don't want it to step on our toes. See, we want others to hear it and straighten up. We just don't want it to change us. We want the message to make a difference in the world, just not our world. You know, sometimes we can't hear the message for being worried about what it takes away from us. Not understanding that the gospel of the message gives you everything. It takes away nothing. What the gospel message removes is nothing. Because who would want to spend an eternity in a place called hell? Is there any sin that you've ever wrapped your arms around that's worth an eternity in hell? Is there any word you've ever uttered, anything you've ever owned, any action you've ever done that is worth never knowing the love of God? Then I pose to you, the gospel takes away nothing because all those things are nothing. And it gives you everything. It gives you the love of an almighty God 
who loved you so much he sent his only begotten son to die upon a cross for you. You see, in this priest, he, he couldn't even hear it. And sometimes we don't hear it. We think it's good for the one sitting in the pew next to us or the neighbor across the street or the guy at the bar down the road. But see, that gospel is for each of us. That gospel message in verse 18 tells us that when they, they heard them preaching, it says they, they laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in a common prison. Here we go again. Peter and John are locked up again. Peter and John, they, they'd chosen, as it said earlier in, in Acts, it says they had chosen to, to listen to God rather than men, and it cost them their freedom yet again. This gospel proclamation had cost them their freedom. In fact, they understood it would probably cost them their life. See, when they went to prison, it wasn't that they thought they would be there for a weekend and be set free. No, they assumed. They assumed. That they, like their Savior, may face death for the message. How many of us are willing to obey God rather than man, knowing that it could cost us everything? How many of us are willing? Do you realize that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He must also be our Lord? And for Him to be our Lord, that means He's in charge. And when you truly commit your life to the One who gave His life for you, I assure you of this, persecution will come. How do I know that? <laughs> 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Let me make a connection of something to you. If you're sitting in your seat right now, and you're thinking, yeah, I hear it. I hear Him say that, that all who desire to live will face persecution, but I'm not. It <laughs> doesn't come my way. We don't live in a country where that's going to happen. Let me connect a dot for you of one of the smallest words in that passage. The all in that passage is the same all that you find in John 3.16. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, which is the word all, the exact same Greek word, that believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me break it down for you in case you hadn't got it yet. <laughs> if you are one of the all described in John 3.16, then you are also one of the all described in 2 Timothy 3.12. It's the same all. If you're one who's believed that Jesus Christ has died on a cross for your sins because you're one of the all, you're also one of the all who will face persecution. It's coming. As surely as Jesus came to die on the cross that, that we may have the possibility of being saved, it also says that all who are saved will face some sense of persecution. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, if you'll flip back to Matthew 5, He said in that Sermon on the Mount that there are some who are going to be blessed, it says. and In Matthew 5, verses, verse number 10, verse number 10 it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It goes on to verse 11 to say, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, Rejoice! Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Also reminds me of the verse that the servant is not greater than his master. Jesus said that, that you will be blessed. 
Peter and John looked at the persecution in their lives. They looked at the fact that once again they were going to prison. They looked at the fact that their freedom had been taken away once again. And they said, what a blessing. <laughs> How many of you ever looked at persecution in your life and jumped up and down and said, thank you for the blessing, God? Reminds me of the guy on the side of the road that was changing his tire. And the old country farmer pulled up next to him and said, hey, man, you got a flat? And he says, no, I rotate my tires every 4,000 miles, whether, no matter where I'm at. But he said, yes, I do have a flat. And, and he got out there and he, he started changing. The old farmer said, let me help you change it. And the guy the whole time was saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the flat tire. He gets the opportunity to tell the old farmer about Jesus while he was changing his tire. And he got back in the car and said, God, thank you for the flat tire. I got the opportunity to tell the old farmer about Jesus while I was broken down on the side of the road. How many of us look at the persecution in our life that way? How many of us stop and think, you know what? Persecution's come our way. Thank you, God, for the blessing. But if you'll notice, Peter and John, they looked at that persecution. They looked at it as a blessing because they were being obedient to God. They were doing that which God had called them to do. And they understood if persecution came, there was a blessing that would soon follow. Church, it's time we wrap our heads around the fact that the only way we will ever see the blessings of God in our life is to be obedient to God, even if it brings persecution. Even if it brings persecution. God doesn't call us. God doesn't call us to this, this life of leisure as a Christian. He tells us that we must take up our cross. He says we must pick up our cross and follow him. The cross in that day, that cross in that day was seen as this symbol of persecution and death. That's what the cross looked like. We wear it as jewelry today. We hang it on our walls. That's because we've never seen anybody hang on that cross and die. We've never witnessed the blood that fell from a cross from a person dying on it. But in that day, when he said, take up the cross, they thought about the ones they'd see hang on that cross. You know what it would be like? It would be like telling us to take up our electric chair and follow him today. What if that was the message? Pick up your electric chair. Pick up your electric chair and follow me. Boy, that's one that will make you line up now, isn't it? <laughs> see, it's not a picture of this easy life. Instead, it's a picture of a, a life that will be filled with persecution. But don't forget God's promise. Don't forget God's promise. And see, that's what Peter and John understood when persecution came their way and they were locked in a prison. They didn't focus on the persecution. They focused on the promise. And what's God told us? He will never leave us or forsake us. Heard someone bring that up in Sunday school this morning. Forget God will never leave us or forsake us. He says he will be right there on the journey with us. But that journey must, must not be a journey of our own making. That journey must be the journey of God's making that God set us on. Don't walk a path of your own and expect God's promise to be with you. No. Obedience brings the promise of God. Walk the path that God set before you no matter the persecution that may come and God promises He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll always be with you. And Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to expect persecution. That's why he says in, in the 10th verse, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says that those who are reviled against and persecuted and, and have evil things falsely said about you because you speak the name of Jesus... He says, you will be blessed. Have you ever thought about that? Look at what's going on in our world today. Look at what's going on in our world today. 
I just heard this week that a school's petitioning to have the Chick-fil-A shut down in town because of their statement about Jesus Christ. Because they just choose not to be open on Sunday in worship of their God. They're petitioning to shut them down. Just because they want to stand on the, the name of Jesus. And you know, God did bless them. God blessed Peter and John. Look back at Acts. It tells us there in that 19th verse of Acts 5, it says, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You see, it tells us that God dispatched an angel to free them from that prison. It doesn't tell us how it happened, but it does tell us why it happened. You know, we as humans, we like to know, well, I wonder what went on. Did they dig a hole in the roof? Did they blow the door down? Did they, they run in with an army? Just how did this happen? We, we want to know how. But, but the important thing is, is why. And he tells us why because he says that the angels set them free. Why? To go stand in the temple and speak the words of life. See, the how doesn't matter. It's the why. It's the why. You see, the momentary interruption in their life of this imprisonment was not going to stop the mission. It did not catch God off hand. It, did, it didn't catch him off guard. It, it, it didn't put a bump in the road. They locked him up. God sent an angel. The angel lets them free, sets them free, and he says, go. Go. Stand among the people. Speak the name of Jesus. What an awesome message. When you're completely sold out to God and his mission, nothing stops you. God has promised to always be with you. Jesus even tells us that in that great commission passage of Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, whenever he gives us that great commission, right at the very end of that passage in Matthew 28, he says these words. He says, and Jesus came and spoke to them. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now think, he's already said that when you go, there will be persecution. Now he's saying, go. Look how he ends that verse. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. See, understand this. When God says go, you never go alone. You never go alone. You go with a God who has the ability to dispatch an angel to release you from your prison. It would have been a great place for an amen. <laughs> you think about it. You never go alone. Even in the sending of us to spread the good news, he says, and you won't go by yourself. I'm going to be with you. Even the prisoner of persecution, Jesus is with you. When your friends and your neighbors reject the message, he's still with you. When people say mean things about you, he is still with you. When everyone else is against you, God is still with you. He says he will protect you. He will keep you. He will walk with you. And he will even use those circumstances in your life, that persecution that comes, he will use it for his glory. And if you were listening when I told the kids our purpose here, that's one of our main purposes. It's one of our main purposes is for the glory of God. You see, the glory of God is shown in the greatest way when we are demonstrating the power of God in the mission of the church. You want the power of God to show up to the glory of God? Be about the mission of the church. 
evangelizing a lost world. Look at that mission in Acts 5.20. He says, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. See, the mission of the church is to go, to be among the people, and to speak all the words of this life. That God may be glorified in the salvation of those who hear that message. See, the gospel message is the word of life. There are no other words of life. That gospel message is the word of life. Without the gospel, there is no life. There is only eternal death. Look at what they did in response to that command in verse 21. And it says, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. (laughs) They did what God commanded them to do. They were obedient. You see, it's time the church sees the gospel for what it is and is obedient in the mission of God to speak the words of life to a lost and dying world. It's time we as a church understand that the gospel is the most powerful thing that God has. is the most powerful thing in this world. And we should know that by the witness of our own lives. And we should understand that God is telling us to go, stand, and speak those words. Irregardless of what may happen. Irregardless. He, he promises to always be with us. You see, but to be about the mission brings with it the persecution that's been promised by God. It also brings the promise of God with it, and we need to understand that. And while they were in the temple, it says, the leader sent for them to be brought to trial. It tells us in verse 22 and 23, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, indeed, we found the prison securely shut, and the guards were standing outside before the doors, but... When we opened them, we found no one inside. Wow. So they send for them. They say, okay, we locked them up in the common prison overnight. Now we're going to try them. Go get the boys. Bring them here. Let's one more time tell them they can't speak this name of Jesus. Let's just bring them into the court. We'll do whatever we got to do. They've got to understand this time. They can't do this anymore. So they send the guards out. They send them and say, hey, go get the boys from prison. The chiefs come back, the officers, said, we got a little problem here. We went to go fetch the preachers. We found that there was no problem with the prison. It was completely secure. As a matter of fact, we had to use our key to get in the outer door, the inner door, and, I, and all the way to the door of the prison cell where they were. And when we went up to go in there, there stood the guards. All was good. The prison was secure. The guards were standing there. But here's where the problem lies. We turned the key and we opened the door. There was no prisoners. I think we've got a problem. It says they they come back and and, and reported this to them, and and the leaders were confused. It says they were confused. It says, now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. They were like, hold on, we locked them up last night. They're not there this morning. If they're out and about, what in the world is going to happen next? They were worried. They were confused. They could not figure out how they had walked out of a locked prison. And God doesn't share how it happened. The particulars of the escape, they aren't even part of the story. 
The story is that God provided a way of escape. I hope you make those connections to the gospel. But it's that God provided a connection, a, 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 a way of escape. And it was this miraculous escape. There was no explanation because there was no holes busted, no windows pulled out, the doors weren't down, the guards weren't shot and laid. There was no physical signs, but miraculously, those two guys weren't there. There there was a miraculous escape. And it says in verse 25 that they get an answer to what was going to happen next. Why all this happened? Where did the guys go? Verse 25, it tells us, it said, So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. They're standing there trying to figure out, how'd they get out of jail? Where'd they go? These guys are Houdini. And up runs a guy and says, hey, you looking for the two guys that were in the jail? You looking for the guys you locked up last night? You looking for the two you set guards outside on? You looking for the guys that were hanging out in your jail last night? They're over in the temple. And guess what they're doing? They're preaching in the name of Jesus. You thought they had indignation before? I think their heads just blew off. Things just got a little tense for them. Things got a little strange. Peter, Peter and John, along with the church, it says, were gathered up in the temple. And notice what they weren't doing. They weren't making plans to escape the city. They weren't looking for ways of retribution against those who had locked up Peter and John. They, they, they weren't looking for a way out. It says they were teaching about God. They were proclaiming the gospel. When the high priest and the chief priest heard that they were not there, they were perplexed. <laughs> and that's how God intended it. God intended them for not, to not have a physical answer for how they could have escaped. He also intended for them not to have a physical answer for the brazenness, the brashness, the boldness of these guys to now be standing back in the temple. That's how God intended it. See, their escape from prison was nothing short of a miracle. Prison was locked, the guards were in place, yet the prisoners were gone. God used the miraculous escape from prison to validate both the messenger and the message that was being preached. Nobody in their right mind, nobody in their right mind would break out of jail and put themselves at risk of death for a message that wasn't true. See, they stood and preached the message with boldness because God's power had shown up. And now these chief priests, these, these leaders, their, their whole world was rocked. They could not believe or understand how or why these guys were willing to face persecution to preach the message of a man that they had killed. A man that they knew was dead because the chief priest, the high priest, the Jews were all involved. And it happens again. <laughs> Peter and John were taken into custody, it says in verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, and they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And it says, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood on us. Wow. It says they took them without violence. How many now would have been gathered in the temple? We have no idea of knowing, but we can make a pretty educated guess. There have been thousands who had come to know this Jesus, this gospel message of Jesus, and had been converted. 
thousands probably gathered in the temple. And through that crowd sashays this group, this guard, to take them. And it says they feared. They feared that even the taking of Peter and John would start this violent scene. That gives an interesting lesson in response to the persecution because of the gospel message and obedience to God. Notice it says that no one tried to stop them. No, no one started a Me Too movement. Nobody grabbed Peter and John and rushed them off. The guards came. They took them to trial, apparently with no opposition. When we face persecution for Christ's sake, we should let God do the fighting. See, we need to let God do the fighting. Don't stand and preach a gospel message and then have a worldly response to the persecution that comes. No, preach the gospel message and have a gospel response when persecution comes. You see, violent opposition to persecution does not help the proclamation of the gospel. The attitude of Christ helps the proclamation of the gospel. And what was the attitude? What was the attitude of Christ in persecution? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 53, 7 tells us he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The Almighty God of heaven and earth went silently to a cross, persecuted beyond belief for your sin and mine, and never opened his mouth. If you remember, the only times he opened his mouth was to speak to his father. And once he opened him to speak to the man hanging on a cross next to him about his father. You see, Peter and John, just like Jesus, saw the persecution as an opportunity to carry out the gospel message. They saw it as an opportunity to live out the words of life, as an opportunity that quickly came upon them as they preached this message after prison. I find it interesting the question they were asked there in verse 28. It says, Do we not strictly or did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Did we not tell you not to teach in this name? It says, Look, look, now you fill Jerusalem with this doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood on us. And do you see the truth in both of those statements? Both of those statements are true. They're absolutely true. They were commanded to not speak the name of Jesus. They were commanded to not go out and speak. That's a true statement. And the gospel message that they preached did speak of the blood of Jesus being on their hands. See, both of those statements are very true. But wasn't that what they'd requested? Have you ever thought about that? The high priest and the chief priest and the Jews, wasn't that what they asked for? It's exactly what they asked for. Remember the scene before Pilate. Remember the scene before Pilate as Jesus stood there. When Pilate could find absolutely no reason to kill him, when he could find no reason to kill him and wanted to let him go, was looking for a reason to let him go, there was something said in Matthew 27, 25 that I find very interesting. It's right after they chose Barnabas. I said, let Barnabas go. And crucify this Jesus. And it says in verse 24 of Matthew uh, 27. It says, When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that atonement was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, 
I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Who was the you? High priest, chief priest, the Jews that were gathered. Look at their response in verse 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. When Peter stood before them and said, The blood of Jesus Christ is on your hands, he said, You asked for it, you got it. What an awesome thought. And do you see the truth? Do you see the truth that was there? They, they were commanded not to speak, and the gospel message did put that fact right on them that they were responsible, that the blood of this Jesus was on their hands. And what Peter had been trying to tell them was that the blood of Jesus was on them. That was the point of the gospel message. And what we must understand is by our rejection of Jesus and our choice to sin, our, our choosing to sin against the holy God, that blood of Jesus is on our hands. You see, their rejection of Jesus put the blood on their hands. Our rejection of Jesus, without accepting Him as our Lord and Savior, places the blood of Jesus squarely on our hands. It was our sins that nailed him to the cross. It was, it was us. It was us that as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, please forgive them. It was us. It was us. And, and the forgiveness of our sins that it says was finished on that cross. And now Peter and John were being persecuted for pointing out the obvious. Without God's forgiveness, there would be judgment for the rejection of Jesus. There would be judgment for that blood on their hands. And without God's forgiveness, there would be judgment for our sins. See, without Christ, we must stand before a holy God in judgment. And there were thousands who had come to believe the message of God's forgiveness of sins. And, and the numbers, it says, of, of believers that were growing daily. Why? Because the church took seriously the mission of God for the church. And they possess the necessary traits of evangelism through the church. Church, I ask you this morning, are you serious about the sin in your life to the point that you tremble in fear at holy God because you don't see the purity in your own personal life this morning? Do you look at our church and say, there are things here, maybe we do out of commission, the doing of something wrong, or omission, the not doing of something God has called us to do, that changes the purity of the church and makes it defiled. Have, have we really taken serious, before an almighty God, sin both in our life personally and corporately? Maybe we should, because that's the first trait. Do we understand the power of the gospel that's demonstrated when a person hears it and comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Do we long for that power to show up in our church? Or are we all about the numbers? Are we all about the offering? Are we all about the things that we go do? Yet forgetting the thing that we need the most is the power of God. There's this mission. And are we ready? Are we ready when we deal with the purity and the power of God shows up? Are we ready for the persecution that will come? Are we ready? 
The only way we can be ready is to understand that this gospel message is the mission that God's given us as a church, and He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And even in the midst of persecution, the message will ring clear, even to those who persecute. Even to those who persecute, whenever they look and they say, we don't know why, You speak this name of Jesus. We don't know why you tell us this gospel. What are you trying to do? Make us guilty? You see, when we share the gospel, we're persecuted because they don't want to be seen as guilty. Yet they are. So my call to you this morning is, will you... Will you deal with sin in your life? Will you desire the power of the Holy Spirit to show up in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ through you and through this church? And will you prepare yourself and be ready for that day of persecution that comes with the proclamation of that gospel message? Maybe this morning, you're sitting here and you're not even sure you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe the very mention of the fact that there is judgment on sin and that The blood of the death of this Jesus Christ is on you. Maybe that scares you to death. And I pray that it does. Because God's serious about that. God's serious about the fact that to not accept Jesus is to reject Jesus. And to reject Jesus places you in eternity in a place called hell. Completely separated from a God who loves you enough that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned. You, me, all of us, we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God, but God loved us so much he gave his only begotten son that we would have a way to be in right relationship with forgiveness of our sins. How does that happen? That happens by recognizing the fact you are a sinner, recognizing by the fact there's only one Savior. We talked about it in in Sunday school this morning. There's only one. There's not multiple ways. All the other religions, we can go to the grave and see the dead bones of the Savior But there's only one Savior, and He's risen from the dead by the power of an Almighty God, and His name is Jesus. And you must recognize your need for Him because of the sin in your life. And if you'll fall down and and say, I can't do it, but God, you have done it through your Son, Jesus Christ, and I believe that He died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you raised Him from the dead, that I might have eternal life. And you make that confession with your mouth. You come this morning and you say... Pastor, I've come to believe this. And you make that profession, that confession with your mouth that that Jesus is the answer. That you hold firmly to Him for your salvation. Then the Bible says you are saved. That's where it all starts. But church, that's not where it ends. You see, we need to daily think about those things in our life that tarnish our life, that that drive the purity from our life, those sins we commit that we think no one knows anything about. Maybe this morning you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but even in the quietness of this moment, the Holy Spirit has revealed to your heart those things that are a sin against an almighty God that not only takes your life from being pure, but makes the church unpure because of that sin. Maybe this morning your greatest desire is to be right with God, and I pray that it is. You can come this morning and fall on the altar and ask for forgiveness. And you Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. 
We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.